As I say, it remains a great mystery. And I think, you know, it becomes less of a mystery if we take away the idea that there was any choice involved. This was thing that happened slowly over many generations, and suddenly they were dependent on it. And this is the way it is for all of us. We become dependent on things over time. We become habituated into them. And the other truth is that once you've become dependent on a single resource, for example, going back to being a hunter-gatherer becomes rather difficult. You know, Zhengasi have learned over time, for example, to identify around 150 different edible plant species and parts. Um, and they know how to track and the behavior of the animals. Once you abandon that knowledge, it takes one generation to lose that. So one generation of eating maize and maize porridge and tinned meat, and you forget how to, you know, the many of the young generation of Zhengzhuasi, they wouldn't be able to survive as their fathers or grandfathers did because they simply no longer have that practical knowledge acquired through years and years of experience. And so I suspect that is what happened. And once we were on that um, hamster wheel of growth and agricultural change, there was no getting off. So farming changes our relationship to time, changes our relationship to work. And then you write about cities as really changing our relationship to want, that people begin pressing in together. And then you write that they develop a form of scarcity articulated in the language of aspiration, jealousy, and desire rather than of absolute need. That we are around so many other kinds of people, we can see what they have, we're in competition with them. Can you talk a bit about the way density changes desire? I think there might be something within us. We talked a little bit about human nature. There's something within our nature that responds very viscerally to inequality, to somebody having more than us. And again, this is something we see without, you know, when you watch two siblings sharing out their bag of sweets with immense precision, you know, there can be no inequality in how it's done. Cities are different spaces. And we've got to remember, you know, even though most history um, of the last 10,000 years or 7,000 years since the first cities were born is a history of cities because that is where people learned to write and that's what they focused on. Uh, most people still lived in the countryside and made a living. You know, and we're, when I say most, I mean really 90%. It was only sort of small elites that ever lived within city walls. Most people worked on the land, producing the energy that they needed to survive. Cities, on the other hand, were these sort of exclusive spaces where nobody worked to produce energy, but everybody worked to expend energy. And so the ability to monopolize, control the distribution and flows of energy resources, whether those took the form of food, whether those took the form of beer, whether those took the form of ultimately money or exchanges and debt, became a source of great power and became a source of great differentiation. But at the same time within cities, because people were expending energy and because they have this innate creativity, this drive to work, you ended up with a whole efflorescence of new professions, ways and things of doing. You had this explosion of art and literature. You also had people developing religious centers and centering ritual power on themselves. And these forces ended up creating many micro-communities within cities. But these micro-communities were often highly differentiated by the amount of power they were able to accrue, the influence they were able to work. And this effectively transformed the way people engaged and worked with one another and lived with one another and produced, I think, this real sense that people wanting things, people wanting. You were continuously confronted by somebody who had more than you 
or somebody who had less than you of whatever it happened to be. It could be any form of capital, you know, whether it's social capital, ritual capital, or capital capital. But you're constantly confronted by people having more. And we have that gut instinct to say, well, if they have that, maybe I want to have that too. And in many ways, I think that is the kind of driver of if if it's said that we have infinite desires, I don't think it is. We just want to have as much as the next guy. And there are two ways of achieving it. Either you work to try and get what they have, or you try and take what they have, or as has happened throughout history. And again, it's very particularly a history of, you know, there've been very few what you'd call sort of great turning things over revolutions in purely rural communities. You have them in urban centers where you get elites brought down, crashing down, and then the process begins almost inevitably again. You talk in the book about Emile Durkheim's theory of infinite aspiration. Could you just explain that? Well, around that period when Emile Durkheim was writing, of course, this was the era where economics was becoming established science, science based on, you know, how people allocated scarcity. And there was the sense of, you know, trying to understand what is this basic, the economic problem, this problem of scarcity? What is this idea that we have such huge desires that we can never hope to satisfy. And for me, it seems that there's a very clear correlation between that sense of economic desire and what Emil Durkheim talked about when he talked about the sense of anomie, this idea that people felt left out or that they felt alienated in society. And at the same time, this desire they had to have something which they didn't have at the time, this constant sense that there was something unfulfilled. Durkheim explained this as a consequence of the transition really from the kind of artisan-based industries to early levels of industrialization as people moved into cities. And he believed that this kind of sense of alienation and left-outness would be ended because eventually people would coalesce around different kinds of artisanal communities in urban areas and that have a sort of sense of self and a sense of identity and a sense of purpose closely associated with that. But I think this idea of constant unfulfillment is something very much associated with modern life. And part of it is because things are constantly changing. The goalposts are constantly moving ahead. So, you know, for example, uh, you know, I've always been a bit of a tech junkie and I'm tired of it now. But, you know, the minute you suddenly reach your goal of having the iPhone 11, somebody's got an iPhone 12 out, there's this constant sort of reaching forward, this constant sense of unsatisfaction, this constant sense that, you know, as soon as we achieve a goalpost, it moves onwards. And I think that is very much a function of urban life. And I think it's also very much a function of this ever-changing nature of modernity. I think the natural way to think about that competition is material. Like you brought up the, you know, the iPhone 11 and then somebody's got an iPhone 12. You know, you got a, a house, somebody gets a, a bigger house. But there's also this social one. Uh, when I was reading the, the section in your book on Durkheim, you talk about how he believes at that time 
that he's simply living through a transitionary moment in society and people will figure it out. They'll figure out how to regulate their wants a little bit better. They'll figure out how to not have their head turned by everything, that it's simply the, the explosion of material goods that is doing that. So on the one hand, clearly not. It just accelerated and accelerated and accelerated. But then on top of that, it made me think about the social media age because you often hear the same thing now, which is, well, we're just getting used to these new technologies. You know, Facebook, it's certainly in my lifetime. I mean, it's in my adulthood. Twitter, even more so, Snapchat, et cetera. But when I look at it, I wonder if what we're developing now for, for particularly people who are young 